0: So again, normally we would preach in a series. And so we'd have a series of sermons inside a series. But this is really more like one sermon broke up over three weeks. And so last week we talked about creation. This week we're going to talk about chaos. And next week we're going to talk about the cross. We talked about how the greatest story ever told uh, is a story that matters for us and to us at all places of our life. The greatest story ever told makes a difference for us on our good days. It makes a difference for us on our bad days. It makes a difference in our lives on our rich days on our poor days, in our young life, and in our old life. This story of the gospel and the work that Jesus did, um, creation, and then chaos, and then the cross, it makes a difference in all phases of our life. Last week, we talked about how God created us with a choice. When he created us and, and made this world and put us here, uh, his desire was to have relationship with us. So he, he didn't create us robots. How many of you know it's not love If there isn't a choice, if we were just all programmed to be robotic, then there would be uh, no love involved in that. And we said for us to have a love, there has to be a choice. You can't love without a choice. Uh, I shared how if I come home from work and I bust through the door and my kids come running up to me, dad, dad's home, Oh dad, I love you. I feel love if they're freely choosing to do that. But if right before I get home, my wife says, now when dad gets home, you're going to march over to the door and you will tell him how much you love him. Oh, that's programmed. That's robotic. That's not true love. It, it has to come from a place of choice for it to be love. And so God wanted to have a, a people, a mankind that loved him, that he could be in relationship with. So he gave us a choice. We saw in Genesis that God said to Adam and Eve, you are free to eat of any tree. So you're free to eat of anything, but don't eat of that tree. Now, some might say, well, then they weren't free because they weren't allowed to do that. Now, listen, they were free because they had the choice. An example that we always share is this. Um, If I were to have you over to my house and say, hey, thanks for, you know, house sitting and and, uh, you're free to eat of anything that you want. You're you're free to eat anything that you want. Uh, But in the refrigerator, be careful, uh, because that jar right there with a skull and crossbones and it's labeled cyanide poisoning, um, whatever you do, don't drink of that because you'll surely die. How many know you're still free to drink of it? You're completely free to do it. But if you do, the consequences would be bad, right? And that's what God does. He sets up creation. He says, look, you're free to do whatever you want. You have this choice. But out of love, he's saying, but don't do that. It's just like if I were to say, hey, you're free to put water in your gas tank in the car, but it's not going to work out good for you. That's what God is saying. Everybody says, well, the Bible's so full of rules and it's so restricting and God is so restricting. Well, actually, the Bible has more promises for your life than it does rules. And anytime God mentions that you shouldn't do something, it's because it's better for you. It's better that you don't have sex outside of marriage. It's better that you, are you with me? He's not being unloving. He's saying, hey, this is the better way to live. Are you with me today? And so he's given us this choice and he said, this is how it works. But then what happens is the serpent comes in, the devil, the enemy, the accuser who still works in our lives at different times, comes in and says, has God really said? And begins to question and plant things and say, hey, is this really the way? And is, is God somebody who just wants to be better than you? And begins to plant this thing. And of course, we know because Adam and Eve had the ability to choose, they actually made a choice that brought chaos. So they made the wrong choice and now chaos. So we talked about creation. Now we're going to talk about the chaos. And so this chaos shows up in Genesis chapter three is the first time we begin to hear words like pain and curse and shame and death and sickness. We know that then evil begins to set in on earth and we begin to see things like mosquitoes and bees and cats. I mean, it got bad quick in the garden. Evil begin to present itself. But I actually want to share with you that this is a pattern that we see is, is follows mankind. We see that a choice was presented and a wrong choice was made and chaos then followed. It's a pattern that mankind has continued to follow. So let me read to you the Old Testament. This will be fun. I'm going to, I'm going to go through the Old Testament with you and we're going to see this pattern. But from creation to the cross, we call it the Old Testament. We see that it's made up of 37 books. And it spans 4,000 years. We see that in Genesis, it's the beginning, and it says that there was nothing, and God spoke, and then we got everything. We see that God created man from dirt and Eve from his side. We see that Eve got deceived, and then they were kicked out of the garden, which threw humanity into a, a lifestyle of dark and, and darkness and brokenness. But then we see it got so bad at some point that God then desired to wipe out humanity. There was so much evil at this place, but then he finds grace because Moa, Noah was found as a man uh, who is blameless and righteous. Before the Lord. And so God uses grace and says, Hey, build this boat and save mankind. So we've already seen this pattern of creation and sometimes order, but then choosing in chaos. Fast forward a few hundred years, we see that God speaks to Abraham. He finds favor with Abraham and he says, go to an unknown land. You'll become the father of many nations. And, and we see that there's this, this neat order of God leading and Abraham has Isaac and God calls Abraham to uh, murder his son, Isaac. And he's walking obediently to the point of almost doing that. But through his faithfulness, the angel comes and stops him. But then we see a picture of God becoming his provider. He provides this ram caught in a thicket and says, I'm Jehovah Jireh, I'm your provider. And so there's this, there's this great picture of, of God is, is doing this thing. But then shortly after that, we see Jacob. Uh, was another son of Abraham's. Jacob has 12 sons, one of them being Joseph. Joseph's brothers have an envy problem. They get upset at his coat of many colors and they sell him into slavery. Chaos is now happening of this person who had God's hand on his life. So chaos is happening all over his life. But then he gets through this chaos into a position of becoming second in command of all of Egypt. Scripture says that Joseph dies, and now Pharaoh arises to oppress the children of Israel again into slavery. Now there's chaos again. There was God's hand on people's life, and then we see chaos again. Uh, The scripture then says that he raises up Moses. He calls Moses, who is actually out in the wilderness in a chaotic season of his life, and God speaks to him through a burning bush and and calls him to go free his people. Go tell him to let my people go. After a long journey of of plagues and and deliverance, they are now on their way to the promised land. they get to the promised land. Joshua leads them to this place, which we know is now Israel. And then Israel decides that they want a king. You guys are doing pretty good. You're halfway through the Old Testament. And so they want a king. So they ri- they raise up King Saul. And so Saul is now appointed and Saul messes it up. He makes some bad decisions uh, in his life. And then we see David is through this chaos, David is raised up. And so King David, who we know is the giant killer, he's also the one who gives us the Psalms. He put together these really beautiful writings and songs that we read in Psalms, which let me just take a minute and say, it's getting on my nerves when a lot of people are calling for the cancellation of Hillsong music. Uh, I hate what happened at Hillsong church and I hate that men fall and it costs the church dearly. And, and that's the truth. But the cancel culture that Christians are starting to subscribe to among their brother and sisters is getting a little ridiculous. Can I get an amen? I'm so grateful that cancel culture didn't exist back with King David because we would have never got the Psalms. Because we got to stop singing those Hillsong songs. Look what happened at Hillsong. Yeah, a sinful man fell. But it doesn't mean that those worshipful words are any less impactful. Are you understand what I'm saying? And last time I checked, when I worship, it's between my heart and God anyway. Are you with me? I think we're in dangerous territory when we begin to judge those things because. People are going to fall, especially in these last days when we believe that God is coming back for a purified bride. We're going to see pruning in the body of Christ and we should be ready for it. Are you with me? But you're not called to criticize it online, you're called to pray for it. Are you with me? We would have canceled David. Nope, throw out all the Psalms. David, look at all the mess that he did. We, we better tear out those pages because that sinful man. Are you with me? Anyway, back to the Old Testament. And so, King David, so we see David, and then David has a son named Solomon, and uh, Solomon unfortunately, liked the ladies a little too much, and so he got into chaos and Solomon has a son who then messes some things up, and Israel gets split into two different factions we see there 's a treaty, and the north becomes for the Assyrians, and the south becomes for the Babylonians. The reason that 's important is because what happened was then Jerusalem became destroyed, and through its destruction, the king was kicked out, the temple was destroyed, and the Jews were scattered at this time but then god 's desire was to bring his people back to Jerusalem so so God then spoke through a prophet and said, go back. It's time for you to go back. Many of you know, Nehemiah rebuilds the wall and his people are back uh, in their place. The Israelites inhabit the promised land. And then there's a period of about 400 years where the Romans and the Greek uh, are, are in position here and there's a 400 years of silence. And then finally an angel appears to the Virgin Mary and we then get Jesus in the New Testament give it up for yourselves. You made it through the old Testament. Well done. And also on your read through the Bible in a year plan, you can just check off the old Testament. You got it all. Just kidding. I went fast through it, but there's more to read. But now the cross, we, we have our remedy to the chaos. It's the cross. We're going to talk about it next week. You say, well, pastor, why did you waste all the time talking about all that? Because what I want us to understand is that as many of you say, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to talk to Adam. I'm going to talk to Eve. Man, they messed all this up. I can't believe that they did that. But the reality is we've been keeping the tradition of messing it up. You would have and I would have. We all would have messed it up. This is what we continue to do all throughout the Old Testament is we we mess it up. We for some reason fall into this chaos. And uh, I wrote it down like this. Romans 2, 3 23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. You mess it up. I mess it up. We all mess it up. We've all sinned and messed it up. Chaos is a part of our story. Think about it. There's many times where we feel called in, to be faithful. We're faithful. Oh, we're faithful and we're following the Lord and we're doing God's plan and we're faithful. But then there's the times that we find ourselves fickle and we just get whatever about it. Or there's times where we're in on prayer, and we're praying and we're faithful and we're seeking the Lord. But then we find ourselves in seasons of our life where we're negative and we're not believing the best and we're confessing the wrong things over our lives. Or we're called to walk in love and we're doing it. And yeah, I'm calling, I'm walking in love. This is the way God created me to do it. The creation piece. But then we find ourselves holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness and walking uh, maybe in pride or anger. And, and we see ourselves missing it. Why? Because it seems like chaos and disorder is, is so easy for us to fall into. I wrote it down like this, left in our own ways, chaos is what we do. And that's why it's so great that we were sent a savior to save us from our ways. Can I get an amen? You ever notice that it takes work to keep things organized? We're left to ourselves. Chaos just seems to happen. Uh, my kids are nine, seven, and three. And we're really working hard with them at cleaning up the house and putting things back at the end of the day. And so it's just hilarious. They just think we're the worst parents ever because we actually ask them to, you know, like these tasks we ask of them are so insane. It's like, hey, guys, um, can you go over there and pick up those blankets and stuffed animals? Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, guys, it takes the same amount of work to put it back as it was to get it out. Isn't it weird how, like, chaos and disorder seems to come real natural? Just, like, automatically happens in our life. We make a mess of things. But, but putting it back seems to be, like, so much work. I thought about this. Uh, Jess and I, we've lived in our house for about two months. We've lived in our house for about two months. And I opened a drawer the other day. We've only lived there two months, and we already have a junk drawer. I'm like, how, what is this? Like, did we, did we just dump the junk drawer box into another drawer? How do we have a junk? It's just because like left to ourselves, there's, just, there's chaos, there's disorder, there's just stuff that happens. So the question is like, what do we do with it? God created us away, but then there's this thing of chaos that happens. So we got to ask ourselves, like, how and why do we fall into this? I wrote it down this way last week. It's not what happened in the Bible, the stories of what happened. It's not so much what happened, it's why did it happen? What does it mean in our life? All these things that have happened, like, what is it? What is, why is it that it happened? I also wrote it down like this for this week. It's not what happens, it's why is it happening? That's the question we gotta ask ourselves today, is, is the chaos and the disorder and some of the things that are falling out of place in our life, we have to ask ourselves why is this happening? What, what are the things that are causing this to happen? And so Paul actually gives us some answers. That's what I love about the scripture here. So for the next 10 minutes, I got three points for you that are gonna help us define this This chaos and this temptation to fall in in things that are out of order. Paul writes about this chaos of the Old Testament in Romans chapter one, verse 20. He says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. He's saying, look, anyone can look out and see God's order. And see that that God is good and he made this structure and he put these things in place. He's saying God's set order is obvious. So where does the chaos come from? Anyone can look up and see the heavens and the earth and creation and all these things and see God's, the scripture said, eternal power and his divine nature. We can see that. So where is this chaos coming from? He begins to describe it for us. And I think there's a lot of truth in this. Verse 21, it says, for although they knew God. They neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Here's the key. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I have three things we need to reject in order for us to reject chaos in our life. And the first one is this. We must reject useless thinking. The scripture said chaos began to unravel in their life because they had futile thinking. The word futile here means incapable of producing any useful result. You want to avoid chaos in your life? You have to be careful the things that you're thinking about. You can't go throughout your day, uh, as this says, in, you know, thinking thoughts that are incapable of producing anything good. Uh, one translation of futile means this, pointless, simply pointless thinking. We've got to guard our minds. We've talked about this when we were talk about a little bit more, we've got to be careful what we let in because just left to yourself, you would just fall into the chaos of walking throughout your day, thinking on pointless thoughts, going over and over. And again, the things that maybe didn't work out for you or aren't working for you or what could be, Oh, is he going to do that? Maybe he's doing that. Is he and we go through all of this pointless thinking and saying, don't let yourself fall into this futile thinking because you're going to find yourself living in this state of chaos. You know, this state of chaos, this pointless thinking is really our teenage years. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, your teenage years. We, we go through our teenage years, and uh, maybe you heard this a lot from your parents. You did something, and they actually literally said this back to you. What were you thinking? What were you? Mom, just, um, it's not a, it's, you know, you, I didn't ask you to help me with the sermon. You just, you just stay back there. Aren't you supposed to be in Florida? Yeah. <laughs> But (laughs) what were you thinking? What were you thinking here? And it's easy to go to, that was not a very good thought. I I probably shouldn't have done that. It comes easy to us. My son, it was his birthday on Thursday. He was seven. He was riding. He's turned seven. He's riding in my truck. And um, he asked me how fast I was going. I said, well, the speed limit's 55. I'm going 55. And then, and then he said, how do you know? And I said, well, see these numbers? It's like 50, 60, 70. 70. Dad, this can go 70? Yeah. can It, it can go 80? Now he's looking at the speedometer. He's like, Dad, this truck can go 100? I was like, uh-huh. I won't tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> but quickly, you can make some pretty pointless decisions. Quickly, we just fall into this. And here he is at a young age asking this. That's what the enemy did to Eve. Comes in, God already said it all. He said the point of all the thing. Hey, this paradise that I've created for you so that we could be in relationship, it's all good and it's all yours and we're gonna dwell in this together. And he says, but don't, don't eat of that. So for them, Adam and Eve, that tree was pointless. They didn't need it. It didn't have to be a part of their life. It didn't even have to be a thought in their mind because they had everything they needed. They were in paradise with God. But the serpent comes in and says, hey, maybe you should start thinking a little different. What about that tree over there? And gets them to begin to think about something that's pointless in their life. Hey, what about that? Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do that. Maybe you should go over and do that. And get them thinking on something that has nothing to do. And that's what the enemy's game plan is always against people is, hey, stop taking your focus from and start putting it over here into the things of the world. Are you with me today? That's why Romans 12, two says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. God's will is not chaotic. And so the scripture is saying, if you want to live a life that avoids all this chaos and all this crazy, be somebody whose mind is set on him and his ways. Are you with me today? That's why Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and whose thoughts are fixed on you. You want to avoid the chaos? You want to avoid the disorder and the nonsense and the crazy? Be somebody who makes sure your mind is set on God and his ways. Uh, I thought about this. That's why it's so important for us to be at church. As a pastor, you say, oh, of course you want us to be at church. Well, when we come into church, we come into this place. And what it helps us do is it helps us set our minds on God. It helps us recalibrate. Hey, you know what? There's a whole bunch of stuff going on in my life and all kinds of chaos going on around me. But I'm going to make sure I set this thing back on what really matters. That's what we do with worship. You know, when we, you know, lead worship and, and the band comes up here, they're not trying to play songs for you. We're coming together and we're giving God's praise and adoration in our worship. But at the same time, we're making sure our mind is set on him. Are you with me? That's why even in the sermons, we preach sermons. Why? Because it reminds us that God loves his people and he leads his people. Can I get Amen. Fellowship, you come in and you have a relationship with each other and you connect and and you check on each other. Why? Because we're we're trying to remind ourselves that we're not alone in all of this. And it helps us avoid the chaos. The scripture says that their foolish hearts were darkened. One commentator says that the lights went out on their heart. Many times it's disappointment that allows that. Many times it's, it's just disappointment or, or maybe a failure in our life that causes that light to go out in our heart. So I wrote it down like this. Number two, we must reject a darkened heart. What happens in our life and we turn the lights off is really what we do is we stop caring. We have an experience and we say, oh, that hurt me. That failure, that situation, that hurt me. Therefore, now I'm putting up a wall. I'm turning the light out on this. And I'm telling you, whenever you be a person who lives with the wall up or the light turned out on your heart because of a disappointment or experience that you have, what begins to happen is chaos begins to grow in that darkness. It says that their, their hearts become darkened. Maybe in your marriage you, you went through a conflict or you, you had something that upset you and you said, oh, no, that's it. I'm turning the light out on this. I experienced a disappointment. I'm going to put a wall up and, and, and I'm going to keep people at a distance. Or maybe in your job, you were up for the promotion and God was using you in your marketplace ministry and, and God was using you in your workplace. And then all of a sudden you didn't, didn't get the promotion and you let bitterness creep in. and you said, oh, that's it. I, I'm, I'm letting my heart go dark here and I'm going to stop caring in this area maybe in parenting or, or, or maybe you were dating and you were you know, out pursuing uh, the way God called you to in, in, your, in your dating life. And, and all of a sudden people begin to mock you for the way that you, you believed and the values that you had. And you said, you know what? I'm, I'm sick of getting made fun of. And so now I'm just gonna compromise like Eve. I'm, gonna just, I'm just gonna look at a different way of doing this. You let your heart grow dark to the way that God called you to. Chaos will follow. Can I get an amen? Uh, many of you said, well, I've prayed I prayed that one time to get that miracle. I prayed that one time to get that thing and it didn't come through. And so don't turn the light switch off. You keep praying. You don't let your heart go dark, amen? Well, that one time I, 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 I asked God to use me and, and, and I stepped out and I invited someone to church or I prayed for somebody and it just didn't go good. And I didn't find the words. And, and, and I feel like a failure in this situation. And so you want to turn the light out. No, God is saying, don't let your hearts go dark. Can I get an amen? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. says this, says we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. There's going to be times where we experience some things where they don't really go our way, but we can't just shut down because then the chaos wins out. Paul, again, such a great example for us. Uh, He had so many different reasons where he experienced disappointments or where he could have stopped caring. Paul, not only did he deal with... um, emotional abuse and, you know, of course, verbal abuse and all of these things as he lived a life for the Lord, but he also experienced physical abuse. He had beatings and different things. We know that he was shipwrecked and all of these different things happened to his life. And this is what he says about continuing on and not turning the light off on your heart. Philippians 3.13, he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but the one thing I do I get on Facebook and I just start complaining and whining and criticizing. No, no, he doesn't do any of that. He says, what I do is I forget what is behind and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He had the understanding of all of the things that have happened behind me. None of them I need to keep in my hands to go with me. He says, I let go of so that I can lay hold of. I mean, no, you can't lay hold of what God has for you if your hands are full of your past and your disappointments and your shortcomings. We lay them at the feet of the cross and he says, I strain toward what is ahead. Didn't say that I, I walk suspiciously toward what God might have. No, I'm straining toward because God has a prize ahead for me. Are you with me today? So we avoid chaos by being people who let go of the things behind us and we strain for what is ahead. Third point is this, we must reject the idols of this world. This is so interesting because we live in a world where people would say, I don't idol worship. We think of idol worship as you go to a country where they've man-made formed and carved either out of gold or something they've put together this figure that you would go and worship and bow down before. We would say, of course we don't do that. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Romans 122 says this, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images they made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged God for something man-made. That's nonsense. We would never bow down before a thing. They exchanged God for something man-made. You might be exchanging what God has for your marriage by something man-made in those websites you're looking at. You've exchanged what God has for your marriage by the man-made thing you're viewing on the internet. You've exchanged what God has for your finances by living stingy and going for what's bigger, better, faster, nicer, new neighborhood. We've exchanged God's plan for something else. We've exchanged God being the one who cares for our soul and takes care of our heart. We've exchanged that for self-care. Oh, you know what? We worked so hard this week. You know what? I deserve? Let's, you know what? We, we had a crazy week. Let's just skip church Sunday. Let's just sleep. And we've exchanged God for something man-made. Are you with me? Esau, we know the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau is the older son. He had the right to, he had the birthright. So he had the right to their property, family property, the finances, uh, all the money, he, uh, all the animals, all of the possessions. He had the birthright. And the scripture teaches us that Esau was off hunting, He came back fatigued, tired, hungry, this whole thing. And Jacob had been one who made a meal. Uh, It's a lentil stew meal. It literally would have been sort of like a quick throw it together. We're talking about this was like a lunchable. That's all he made, okay? Ramen noodles is what he threw together. And Esau comes back with everything God had for him. The birthright, he does all this stuff. And he says, I will give up the birthright if you just give me that. I wrote it down like this. We should never give up what's best for what's right now. God's got this plan for us. We must reject this idol worship of, oh, I want this right now. And we give up what God has for us. So he gives it up literally uh, as such a fool. He gives everything away. Uh, I wrote it down like this. We must commit to long-term success over temporary satisfaction. Well, I went to a Saturday prayer one time. And it didn't change my life. And we keep going. We keep praying. Well, you know, I went to the women's study a couple years ago. I tried it, and I just didn't make a great relationship. So I'm not going to come back to the next one. No, no, we commit. We commit. Well, you know, we're busy, and we got this thing. And, you know, I've really been wanting to finish that Netflix series. And No, no, those are short-term. Are you with me? Those are short-term. We need to look at the long-term of it. I'll close with this. Verse 25 says this. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Life will always be chaotic when we serve the wrong things. It says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And it says that they then worshiped created things instead of the creator. So, well, I would never worship a created thing. So, for we literally do worship. We say Instagram. We bow. Facebook. We bow to. Netflix. We bow to. Sports. We bow to. Pinterest. We bow to. All of these things. We exchange. Oh, this will satisfy me. We exchange God for these lies. Oh, this this will bring some sort of hope and help and into my life if I have all these things. We're exchanging God for lies. It's this false worship. And God is saying, no, no, we we can't bow before these things. This is how chaos comes into our life. We look at all these other countries and we go, oh, I don't understand how they do that idol worship. And we got idol worship probably worse in America than anywhere else. The biggest thing we worship is self. iPhone, iPad, everything's I, you, you, you. Hey, buy this car. If you get in, it remembers you and changes your seat and does all the thing. Oh, your mattress? Yeah, you get in. It it knows you too, because it's all about you. We worship self in America. What, What do I need? What do I need? What do I need? And the idol worship always brings chaos. Can I get an amen? God doesn't leave us there. I'm excited to lead you into next week. God doesn't just leave us there, though. He says, hey, I got a remedy for all of this chaos. And it's a savior. He didn't send us a leadership guru who gives us good speeches. He, he, didn't, he didn't send us the, the best, even theologian. He sent us a savior who can save us from this chaos and put us in this structure, in this place with him where he can lead us. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for this time, this greatest story ever told. Lord, we, we see the pattern, we see the picture of creation and chaos, but then also the cross where you come and you save and you restore and you set our feet on solid ground. And so, Lord, I pray that in these three areas, Lord, you help us see maybe where we're living out of balance the way that you created us. And God, I pray that you help us surrender our lives to you. Just be a people who can say, God, be savior, be Lord of all, be king of kings in our life. We don't want anything before you. God, I pray that you help us live that in Jesus name. Amen.